0: First of all, your creative process, but then also um, on the way to the book or why a book um, Mm -hmm. and taking apart some of those pieces Mm -hmm. too. So um, I can scroll through um, and will, because uh, the basic premise of the book is a hundred different practitioners and your text accompanying it, Mm -hmm. but we we can talk about your inspiration and I will do some um, scrolling through so people get a good sense of some of the imagery, but we'll go back and forth in conversation in a way that I'm saying, maybe on our screen, I'll be scrolling, but we'll be talking about one specific thing. Okay. But do you want to give us the background on the inspiration for the sure, book? Sure.
1: sure.
2: May I ask also, will, will those who are part of this, will they be able to ask questions as we go along? or? It would be participatory in
1: that way.
0: So what is a little staccato about Zoom is that if uh, it's how you handle the conversation when there's more people on, because it will cross out and whoever talks first is who it, it does, it, it, it features. So Deb is my co-pilot. Um, uh-huh. Thank you, Deb. And, um, and is managing the chat. We can put questions into the chat And after we have some time to talk, um, we can both, we can unmute people so that they can ask their question, but it's just a way of of dealing with the flow so that we don't get into all the like, no, you go, no, you go, (laughs) which happens, right? So I know, I know a seminal piece that got you inspired, but why don't you tell us about Great. the road to the buck and i'm gonna flip
2: well i also just want to thank everyone for being here and i appreciate you listening to my thoughts and i look forward to uh to hearing what you have to say um the book was inspired by a couple of different um i guess primarily i wanted to translate my experience in the classroom over the past 40 years and When I say in the classroom, my involvement with photographic education has been to conduct critique classes, which are, as you know, primarily about assisting students to develop bodies of work. Um, When I left School of Visual Arts in 2018, I I wanted to translate what felt to me like a monumental um, quantity of information that I had learned. About the medium through the students' work and through discussing their work with them, I wanted to translate that into the into into the written page, um, so I wouldn't lose it. In a in a sense, um, the process of writing, as as you all know, was also a great learning experience. Um, to be able to take all of those somewhat abstract and and, and co-ate, uh ideas and to put them in a particular Order. Um, back to your question, I was inspired by the classic book of John Sarkowski's uh, Looking at Photographs, which I had discovered when I was in college, and I was a painting major in college, and I had, I had discovered the John Sarkowski book, and, and it began a what has turned out to be a very long relationship to the photographic medium. And it's a book that I still return to because of the pleasures of his language and of his insight. Um, it's also for those of you who are familiar with it it's also a completely accessible book because its format is such that you can you can read a page and get an enormous amount of inspiration and um, inspiration and and then go on with your daily life so i th- i just thought that to to borrow from that format of 100 images and 100 pages of of, of short essays would be ideal and in fact i I'm, I'm surprised that no one has to my knowledge no one has borrowed that format, um, um, so it, it it seemed like a like a really appropriate container to uh, to put my thoughts about the medium into.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I was really curious. Um, once I started unpacking it, of who I would find, and um, I found surprises. Good. Um, I found. This is not a surprise, Carrie Mae Weems fabulously needs to be in there, obviously. But I I kept thinking about what your frame was. We can come back to Catherine Opie, uh, another person I'm so glad was in there. Um, So what I did while I was um, going through, and this is partly me, but I think as a, Present culture as we are awakening. There will be more of this. I literally counted how many women were considered, um, and I have to say that you 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 were four times the national average. So that's awesome because you had 29 women in here. Um, uh, yep, and um, you know if you're looking at how many um, women are in. Collections and/or uh, exhibited, it is under 10%. It's it's around 8%, and um, anywhere from six to eight. And if you are a woman of color, it goes down to 2%. So the whole idea of um, who gets amplified is very, very important. So of course I had my ear to the ground on that. So congratulations, I'm really happy. And you introduced me to a few women, which was yes. also a nice surprise. I'm, I'm gonna stop on Christopher Williams because um, besides counting how many um, women there were, I was counting who was new to me. And there were 19 people in here that I had no idea about, which was really, really great um and this is one of them so you know a bit more about christopher williams can you give us some insight into the impact a little bit about i mean where he where he made an impact and and why you chose him
2: well i I also just want to address your point before we talk specifically about christopher williams Um, the the, the div- division the race racial and gender division of the book has been pointed out to me uh, a number of times and and it's important for me to stress that the photo- the hundred photographers in the book were chosen because I felt like they had made an impact in the classroom mm-hmm. there are some there are some photographers for instance who I don't particularly you know it's a matter of taste I, I, I don't particularly care for their work um, mm. But I, I really just wanted to give some sort of barometer and obviously it's subjective and it's not perfect and of, of the photographers whose work had been influential to young, young photographers throughout the last 30 years. Now that in and of itself is problematic because one could argue that it is the, the photographers who have been embraced by a patriarchal white male, Art establishment whose work is going to be known by the by the students. Th- that's the work that they see in the museums. That's the work that they see in the galleries. So it is a it's a problematic scenario. Um, it, it does not endorse it, in a way. It's 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 a it's a historical uh, yeah. frame. It, I, I am not endorsing the fact that there are not more people of color and more women. Uh, in the book, this is really just a report of whom um, has I felt has had the most influence.
0: Yeah, and and frankly, you are pointing out the issue um, that is at the core uh, as we are trying to um, change and expand, and that is the idea that there's a self-perpetuating issue with. Um, what you see, what you know, and why.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: one of the things that I've mentioned before, um, I often am have been able to be a part of Paris Photo and the last five years, there's been a great deal of movement around gender issues and one particular day, uh, two years in a row where the platform uh literally took over in terms of gender and so people and academics internationally were discussing the issues like why and how uh, why how did we get here like why are we here and how do we get out of here and um one of the central arguments is that the canon um, of art history is white patriarchal colonial and do we want to be a part of that or do we need to make a, a completely different establishment? Sure. Um, so uh, I could go on and I won't. Um, I did write an article about Through a Woman's Lens and looking at this that, that we can link to um, in, in our notes, but um, if you think about it, this has been so long in the making and and I think that one of the, one of the things that is really unique about right now, so much has been changed by our last year globally in this collective experience that it is my hope, it is my hope that the radical imagination that is called for people like Frederick Douglass who've been calling for it for 150 years has a place to come in and break. And so that we don't think in the same structures at all. Like it gives us room to to, to really, really widen it. So your, your point is well taken. That's yeah. all, all terms, all uh, food for more um, yeah. webinars. But um, thank you. And I understand you are looking through a uh, lens of your experience, and you are amplifying that which made an impact on the people who you have been working with over the last 40 years. So,
1: so I, 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 I
0: respect that.
2: And I anticipate if, if, for example, I sit down 10 years from now and write uh, some, com- compile a list or write write something about those who have been the most influential in those 10 years, that'll be a completely radical restructuring of the canon. This is the canon. Um, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I really feel, and this is a whole other topic. What's, what's occurring right now in, 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 in contemporary culture seems to be completely authentic. Not just a sort of token inclusion, but that we will revise the history of contemporary photography to include those who have not been recognized for their groundbreaking work.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yep.
0: So, yeah. So tell us, Christopher Williams.
2: Well, Christopher Williams is a conceptual artist. He uses photography. Uh, he was the subject of an exhibition at the Museum of Modern Art a couple of a couple of years ago. He's American, I believe. He lives most of his most of the year in in in, in Germany. Uh, his project is fairly simple. He instructs commercial photographers. To photograph primarily objects, um, and objects that he feel have an, a sort of a cultural and ideological history. Um, the work is very opaque. It's the 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 image that we're looking at? One of the things that I don't that I don't particularly endorse is his use of very long titles, as you see here. Um, mm-hmm. there's a very complicated conceptual, ideological premise to the work. Um, I'm somewhat skeptical about it. Um, I I think they're they're very simple images that that have a relationship to generic uh, stock images for the most part and are very much about the photographic process. I have to take his word for it that there is an ideological framework structure around, around the work. Um, to me, what's, what's most interesting about the work, and I, I, I think of him as a predecessor to a lot of the work that's being done by young photographers now, is the embrace of this sort of generic stock image. Um, and stripping away the pho- uh, from the photograph, so many of the of the values that fine art photography has embraced over the last the last 50 years in terms of emotional content, in terms of it being as much about one's feeling and interpretation of of what's in front of them. I think there's a whole school of, you know, and Ro Etheridge is, I think it's another key player here. There's a whole school of thought in terms of young photographers that questions that presumption and I think Christopher Williams by barring an aesthetic from uh, generic stock photography is, is is part of that.
0: When did he um, come across your lexicon?
2: Say that again I'm sorry.
0: When did he come across your lexicon? I'm thinking I know that he had the MoMA exhibit um, but I, I guess I would say when was his exposure? And when were you seeing
2: that in the classroom? Like what, mm. what, what was That's it, a good did question. Life... I, I, I've, or... I've known his work for about 20 years. Um, okay. but I think that he had, um, I think that the Museum of Modern Art exhibition, you know, created a discourse in the, discourse in the classroom. There was there were some who were aware of his work before, but, but again, this goes back to our point that you know, in the development of a canon of, 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 of photographers, it is those who are part of the power structure that.
0: Yeah, mean it's true, I mean, yeah. why did I know so many of the names? And it's because look at like Cindy Sherman, sure. um, you know, uh, they become um, uh, ubiquitous but, in a way. Uh, and, and, and it's, it's unfortunate um, that, that attention gets driven. Um, I was thinking when I was reading what you wrote about Cindy Sherman, I was also thinking of Claude Cahoon
3: mm-hmm. and going
0: way back to when did this um, playing with yourself and your self-portraiture start. And I was also thinking of the Countess
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: because she actually had her portrait taken Yes, mm-hmm. I think historically. But it's really interesting to go, um, I'm always looking at context mm-hmm. and and trying to expand it and trying to land it. That's why with um, Christopher I was wondering because I definitely can see the link between work that I'm seeing now to something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Sebuya's work, and where it's like, let me show you the process, and I'm going to leave tape here, and I'm going to talk about the tape. Um, that's something that it's really interesting wa- watching the cyclical things that you can look at in hindsight. Um, uh, okay. Another one talking about Sebuya, This is exactly that use of collage.
2: Sure. Well, um, thinking about somebody like Cindy Sherman and her, her ubiquity, her her impact on, on thinking about photography, and in particular amongst young photographers and giving them, you know, a sort of a, a kind of narrative license, it, it, the impact has been remarkable. Um, <clears throat> but I think one of the things that you just described is that with an acknowledgement of her work, we also begin to recognize the tendencies of her work in People that have might have been overlooked. So his history is revisionist, and as it advances, it also goes goes backward, and and it accumulates people who um, have a relationship to the work that we're looking at now.
0: Yeah. Well, I thought this was interesting that you pointed out that um, the inspiration for this particular work was actually an Andrew Wyeth painting,
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: which and if you talk of Cindy Sherman, you're talking about a cinematic inspiration often. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's really uh, helpful to to hear something specific like that when you might look at this work and not realize that.
2: Right. right. Um, well, one of the things I also tried to do was in the choice of an image to represent each photographer. I very intentionally tried to choose an image which might not be so well known because ah. one, one's instinct is always to you know to, to choose an image which is which is familiar and which represents the work in a particular way um, mm-hmm. but part of the learning process for me in terms of writing the book was choosing particular photographs which i thought might illuminate the work in a different way or illuminate parts of the photographer's practice which are not necessarily um understood i wanted to um th- I think it was very ambitious of me, and I'm not sure I succeeded, but I wanted to create a book which was useful for people such as yourself and everyone else here who knows a lot about photography, but I also want to write a book for people who are just curious about the medium. So, you know, to to contain, you know, in 250 words, to contain an overview of the work, why it's important, and to try and find something about the work which perhaps had not been said before. And that was a challenge of what, what, what possibly new could be said about Cindy Sherman or Robert Mablethorpe at this point.
0: Yeah, well, you but you you took on the challenge and I you just gave me a hint. Did you have a 250 word limit?
2: Uh, for the most part, yeah. Okay, I, mean, I
0: just, I thought about that. I thought, yeah. how do you, you know, deal with that in bookmaking right it's helpful to have the parameters and to have thought through some of that so you're giving us your creative choices that you wanted to show work that wasn't necessarily already seen by that artist and you wanted to say something that one wasn't already necessarily said um but i thought okay i could talk more on particular work so how do you give yourself a a framework so i wondered about that
2: um I don't think that I could have sat down and written a book about contemporary photography in a conventional format. I think mm-hmm. it would have just felt too monumental and too complicated.
1: Mm-hmm. For me,
2: um, and not feeling completely like a writer, for me, um, giving myself a template, a brief to to just, to do those 200, 250 words was very helpful. It's um,
0: interesting when, um, yeah, Um, that's what I meant like a container because yeah. Um, and I, I so love this work by Dowd Bay. I have other work that, that is more, um, I think recognized here, but I wanted to, um, to stop here for a second, just make a correlation. I, I need to get this woman's full name. So hold on one second, but you can tell the story behind this particular work. What is the setting we're looking at?
2: Um, this is a photograph which um, it's a, it's they're recent landscape photographs that were made by Daywood, and uh, his practice prior to this body of work, if I understand correctly, was much more of a, of a familiar sort of photojournalism, much more uh, involved with portraiture. Um, mm-hmm. These are landscape uh, photographs which trace. The Underground Railroad, The Antebellum Underground Railroad, uh, which I write in here on a clandestine route of safe houses leading to Canada and freedom for enslaved and fugitive America, uh, African-Americans. And the title comes from a Langston Hughes poem. So what Daywood has done is he has retraced these per- very specific historical places and made these landscape images at, at dusk. Mm -hmm. and um I think part of the accomplishment of this work is emotional and Mm -hmm. placing these um historical places in a in a very strong sense of um uh, sense of being uh clandestine and being hidden um and that moment that we all I think are familiar with and affectionate towards that moment when the light is leaving the Mm -hmm. landscape and and things are beginning to lose their definition. Um, part of the strength of this work is putting us, the viewer, into that position position of being um, covert and clandestine.
0: Well, I think, and often, uh, uh, sorry to interrupt, but to no, give please. us the ominous feeling of what was experienced. Right. Uh, opening up a door to empathy. Um, Why I wanted to stop there was, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Janine Mishnah Bale's work. I am not. Also on this. So Uh hers is called Through Darkness to Light, Seeking Freedom on the Underground Railroad. And um, her work is equally as haunting. And what's interesting is she is a white woman. Uh Um, So I like to bring up issues uh, mostly because I think our whole job is exploration and, and the answers aren't packed, right? We are constantly peeling it off. So in terms of um, who gets to tell whose story or how, um, I think this is an interesting uh, body of work to also look up. And I've seen both of these works in person and uh, they're incredible. They uh, really can take your breath away. Um, so, I uh, just wanted to point that out. It, it's, it's part of what happens for me when I went through your book. It was like, that, that's you know, good. like ping, and, ping,
2: ping, ping, and, ping, ping, When was that work made, the, the work that you just showed to us? Uh,
0: it's, I just, um, reviewed new work of hers. So this I saw, she was at APAD. Um, mm. I want to say this work was shown two years ago. Okay. and And on this card, let me just see if it it doesn't reference the year in any way that I can see right here. It's in the last eight years, let's say i don't and that's an approximation yeah
1: and so did, did, you
0: talk,
2: to
1: light. Did, did
2: you talk has has she received any criticality uh because of her race
4: um
0: I think it was a part of the conversation, um, uh, and it was very beautifully handled, and um, uh, no, I wouldn't say that it was um, uh, detrimental. I think it was well-received and um, amplified, Um, and, and I think that there are ways in which uh, that can happen, um, but we need to be extremely aware of our proclivities, our 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 privilege, um, and if you can uh, attend to that, I think that the work can can move in in some interesting ways.
2: Um, it's a it's a very it's a very complex and difficult and sometimes very painful. Situation, um, but very useful and very important.
0: Well, and I'm thinking too. Um, you had mentioned with Deborah Turbeville trying mm-hmm. to um, uh, stand in as a woman, showing us about women, mm-hmm. um, and that can be, you know, I think about the cultural layers mm-hmm. um, uh, that that we're all working through all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there's not such a pat way. I'm gonna just move, I have to appreciate and, and think about your creative choice to um, do this book alphabetically. Because mm-hmm. um, sequencing is such an issue, right? Yep. Especially in a book format. I mean, in any time when you're putting two photographs together, you're telling a different story, right? Um, or you can tell different stories by the sequence. So. I think this, I think this worked well. Um, how did you come up with that decision?
2: Well, the, one of the things that I've always been interested in as an educator and and developing the curriculum at SVA and and developing my magazine Dear Dave was addressing the medium not in a segregated fashion. Um, you know. It, accommodating all different kinds of photography, all different kinds of motivations. There's fashion photography in the book. There is work which is considered documentary. I think that's really important. And I think too often in its history of photography in terms of publishing and education that we tend to think of all these different genres separate. So by putting them alphabetically, rather than putting the sort of landscape photographers together with, you know, the self portraiture, I think it enabled that it, it, hopefully it made a point that um, all of these photographers have a common goal, which is to do something original, to do something that addresses the history of the genre. Um, And we can be as influenced by, say the photography of Helmut Newton that was made for the pages of Vogue as we can Henry Wessel whose pictures are made to put up in a white gallery space presumably.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, so. Yeah. a simple answer to your question is doing it alphabetically reinforce the sort of democratic uh, nature of the medium.
0: Which we really I think need help doing. People still define themselves. I work with a lot of people and for all the people that say to me, I'm a documentary photographer, but I wanna move into fine art, or I am a documentary photographer, but I think I'm going to wanna to do some fashion. I mean, it the, the permeability is just more fluid and nimble now than ever. And in this whole idea of art and commerce, um, I worked on um, an Irving Penn show. Oh, this is so funny. Yeah. <laughs> speaking speaking of what happened is i was working on the um education for an irving penn show uh that was called beyond beauty Mm -hmm. and basically irving penn was someone who wove his personal work and his commercial work literally like this you can you can you can add up every body of his work and it literally goes commercial personal commercial personal like no one else. And so when we were doing this, this was through um, uh, LUCAD, Leslie University College of Art and Design, Um, we wanted to have a symposium that talked about that now. And I made the suggestion of Inez and Venude, and that's who we had, because I thought who is another example currently of this ability to go between being in Vogue, being on a gallery wall um, and I believe that Inez and as in Venute are that uh, now. Like yeah. they're they're an active um, example of that fluidity.
2: Um, well, even even the term which uh, students still tend to use, which is you know th- this is my personal work, and it, <laughs> you know it I, it, that, it irritates me because it's a complete misunderstanding that you can do work for hire. And it can be, you know, within the brief of, of of the needs of the, it can be as personal as your other work. Um, and it, it, so to say, that, you know, this is my personal work, reinforces a template which is so far out of date. And it's so empowering to young photographers if they can feel like my goal, my task is develop my sensibility. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that that sensibility will occur Uh, in an exhibition space, sometimes it'll occur for a commercial client, and then it can move, it can, you can, you know, Collier Shore is a great example of someone who does work for, uh, for clients, and then those pictures go into the gallery space, so they move back and forth.
0: Yes, and it's so interesting the work that I do with people when I talk around Mm -hmm. concept aware, it is defining, developing, clarifying, streamlining your visual voice because that is what engages. And then you can be, you can bring that to all the different genres and you can be asked as well. I think of um, Sig Harvey as a current uh, person who, uh, you know, is hired for her sensibility. She's hanging in Paris Photo on the Walls, Robert Mann, but she's also doing Kate Spade ads because they want her view, her, as you called it, sensibility to their product. And they're being hired because of having developed that. Um, I'd love to-
2: There's an implicit misunderstanding that to do work for hire involves a particular level of compromise. Mm
1: -hmm. And I think
2: that that is, that, that, that's problematic. And as soon as you set up that sort of template, you are bound to compromise. Um, and in fact, I would like, one could argue that I think Philip Lorca de Corsia, for example, the work that he, the fashion work that he's done, that he did for W Magazine, I think is, is some of his strongest work.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: the best case scenario, is that the work that you do for hire could present challenges to you in terms of the narrative that enhance the work.
0: Well, and I think of things uh, because, um, I don't know if we discussed this, but I have a, um, a, a degree from FIT and fashion is, is very key to the, the art that I studied. And the idea that um, I actually put together a graphic between Bizarre and Vogue and showed the photographers. So things like Robert Frank, was in that list. And people think like, wait, what? And it's like, yeah, Bruce Davidson on that list. And so people love to put people in boxes. and It's like, it doesn't work like that. Um, Luckily, I wanted to stop on this just because I loved what you wrote here. Um, You referred to the progress without baggage and formula. Mm -hmm. So talk about an example of developing your sensibility. That's,
2: that's it. Um, each, as I as I mentioned, each essay was a learning experience for me, and and you know trying to figure out what I could say, which possibly has not been said so clearly about each individual's work. And and the more that I thought about, about Jan Groover, um, and there's there's so many attributes of the work which which are admirable, and that have been remarked upon her elegance and her and her sense of composition and. Um, but I also felt like she is a, can be admired because she, because of her ability to change what she was doing without feeling like she had an obligation to the audience or to the marketplace,
1: mm-hmm. that
2: it was important for her to assert her thought process and how her thought process had, had, had changed. Um, one of the things, just as a footnote, one of the things that I find most interesting about looking at artists' work is, is that if it's, if it's open-ended enough that you can follow, you can follow their thought process. Um, and for her to, be, to, to have changed her work. Um, I'll Just let me read the last paragraph. Artists are often challenged by the transition from one body of work to the next, seeking continuity but avoiding redundancy. Part of Groover's accomplishment in these works is the license to progress in one's inquire without baggage and without formula, trusting the thought process rather than the appearance, invention rather than similitude. It cultivates and inspires a renewed understanding of the artist's task. So in a nutshell, Jan Groover's work is inspiring as an artist because she allowed herself to follow her thought process without a responsibility to the audience or to the marketplace.
0: Yep, and that is, I see that so often. Um, And it's almost uh, the challenge of success, right? You get known for a particular, and then it's like, how do you bring your audience forward? And you're saying that if your process is inherent in the work and organic, they go with you. Right. Um, I remember
1: I, when
2: you know Gregory Crutzen made a uh, a body of work, um, two bodies of work that that he made. One was at a uh, motion picture studio in Italy, and the other was a series of fireflies. And I remember my my students being really irritated at this work and almost almost furious that uh, you know he had done something which did not feel like his work and. And I remember some very long conversations about that. As an audience, we need to encourage and allow artists to go in directions which might not seem so familiar, but at at least we can follow their thought process to different places. And, And we're also not very good judges of the relevance, significance of the work when it is there in front of us. Sometimes it takes a while for us to catch up with what's something that an artist a photographer has done.
0: Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar uh, with Jim Dow, the photographer and academic, Um, so I love uh, Mm -hmm. Jim was teaching, he just finished, uh, uh, he just retired in December, but he taught a class at the Museum School fine arts and it was called the history of photography through ideas and one of the things that he um would do at the end of each class and i i audited it more than once it was just like soul food and it's called the blind jury and he's actually written about it and it would be where we each as students had to um submit work and then we as a body went through that work and nobody was talking it was just I forget how many slides, but it was like, boom, 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 this person, boom, 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 this person. And no one knew who had put that person up and it was fascinating because I put up um, Brewer's work, Marco Brewer, and people were annoyed (laughs) Uh when we got to what it was. Um, It was so fascinating. Like, is it a photograph? Isn't it a photograph? And, 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 really when you're pushing up against people's assumptions, you get pushed back. Sure. Uh, and I find it really, really interesting.
2: Well, I think that you know people, people feel intimidated by, by, by all of this. And, and I think our first instinct, if we see something that is not quite familiar and that we cannot fit into um, categories that we're already comfortable with, that uh, we tend to reject it.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
2: I always said to the students if you walk into a gallery or open a book and your first impulse is to say no this is not photography or no this is not sculpture or you know if it doesn't conform to one's then something very important can be occurring if you give it enough if you give it enough time and you put aside your preconceptions that your definition of what the medium can do uh, will expand and I think if anything, the, the 100 pictures in this book give a partial framework in terms of the the nimbleness and the flexibility of the medium and yes. how it can perform so many different functions, contain so many different ideas and have so many different uh, motivations. That's one of the things that excites me so much about, about photography.
0: I, I would agree. Uh, and yeah. um, I, I remember at FIT, I actually was challenged to um, conceive of a clothing line with my aversions. Um, and I happen to dislike red, turquoise, and yellow as colors. That's and that ended yeah. for whatever reason, right? And and that ended up becoming my palette. Uh-huh. Um, and it's super useful to be pushed into these places. Like Absolutely. I found a way to deal with that. Yeah. Um, well, you know- way bring in black and white, but anyway.
2: Um. If you mentioned to, to photographers and students that they are generally photographing what they approve of,
1: even
2: that, even that thought is not something that they've necessarily considered. That right. to take a photograph is saying, I like this, I approve of it, I wanna share it. But if, if only for a day you go out with your camera and you take pictures of things that you do not particularly approve of or like, it it, it can really change things.
0: That's actually part of um, my curriculum in Concept Aware, um, that you go into those places because it was very, very helpful for me to be challenged like that as as a student. And I also got chewed up when I did it. We used to have to do group crits and I, Um, Was asked why I chose this particular other palette and I said because I like it and I thought my professor I will those words will never come out of my mouth again because he was like that's absolutely no reason like stop don't go there. That's not that's not a good enough reason. Um, And it was true, right? It was like I had to go beyond that.
2: I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. I think it's a good place to start, (laughs) you know there's nothing illegitimate about liking something or, or photographing things which, which, which you admire, which inspire you. But then mm-hmm. if you can incrementally take that further and figure out what, what about it that does. You know,
1: I agree. I, I, I,
2: as we sit here, I'm looking at some beautiful yellow roses. Um, you know, it, you can't argue with beauty. You can't argue <laughs> with, um, with uh, something that inspires us.
0: No, and I also think, to be clear, that we need to have... I mean, I would argue that our artistic process and finding our sensibility is being very aligned to what lights us up, to what intrigues us, Mm -hmm. to what we do have an affinity for. Um, What also is important is having the contextual understanding or conceptual understanding of of looking at it beyond just your attraction and and being in conversation with the work. And I think that the more that a practitioner is able to do that, that's how they imbue the work with, an, with impact and also bring their audience through their process because it's ingrained in the work and it moves too. Um, I have oh, to say,
2: point. oh, go ahead. Go. Well, the other part of this is, is identifying your subject matter, but then also understanding that that subject matter has historically been um, depicted in a fairly predictable way. And to figure out ways that you can use the, all the different photographic tools in which to depict it differently. I think of um, Richard Mishrock's, uh or some of his early work photographing cactus, cacti in the desert and using uh, using a flash, so mm-hmm. that it looked like the cactus were illuminated by the headlamps of a car. Now, generally, we don't we don't see the landscape in, in that way. Or, mm-hmm. as I mentioned in the, in the book, I think one of Robert Mapplethorpe's accomplishments was taking a particular subject matter and then um, depicting it in a in a very in a very glamorous um, uh, formula.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And just that decision alone changed our perception of the, of, of the subject matter. I'm drifting a bit, which, which I tend to do, but.
0: But that's okay, no, I know where you're coming from, but I think that Laura Latinsky is doing exactly what you were talking about. And she happens to be someone that I've followed for a while and really admire the work and, and respond to it uh, in person. And I loved what you said about her, where you put, uh, you said still life that she captures still life as a verb rather than a noun. Yeah. And I really appreciated that because she does, and she gives you that feeling like everything is like a little surreal, going to slip off the table, like, you know, the clock is melting.
1: Um,
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I love it's that. Interesting you know. because it, you because you, you say the clock is melting. I think her work gives us such a strong sense of time. And there's a number of different passages of time you know in, in this picture for example we can see that beautiful what feels like morning light and and it makes us think that what we're looking at is there from the night before so there's that passage of time and then there's also the time that will come after you know the the eventual i i guess eventually taking all this and and washing it and putting throwing it away and
1: moving um, on
2: the work really lingers yeah
0: yep yep well, this is why I think what I love by the alphabet is how people are put together that you right. just wouldn't put next to each other. I think well, that's
2: Larry Simmons and Lee Friedlander. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that's part of the fun. Um, I wanna keep moving. I I wanna also leave time for people to ask questions. Um, there was a couple of things that I'll just point out. I'm going to go through. Like I wanted to come back. I was not aware of this photographer. And was curious similar to how I was about Christopher Williams. I didn't know Linda Connors work.
1: Okay, really
0: interesting and and I and I'm like, why didn't I I would come back to that. Um, but I wanted this was also a new one for me and and curious. So you left me with a lot of questions. This is another person I wasn't aware of you. It's kind of like going through the um the blind jury with the class that I described that I'm being given this work to consider which is fun um, and so I'm this, so glad
2: to hear that because I you know
0: this I, one knocked me out
2: to be, to be predictable yeah yep. this particular image of Mark Cohen's work in general
0: just at, well both but I love this image like it just was Amazing. I love it
1: yeah
0: it's it and it's just so interesting to see um, you know, what people are drawn to. I love that those two images are next to each other.
2: It works, Um, yeah. It,
0: and it's like, it's like such a, um, a ride, right? Because I talk often about punctum and the emotional impact, and this is a ride through punctumville, uh, for sure.
2: Well, I'm so glad, I'm so glad to hear that because my love for the medium in my sense to me it's it's such a lively medium and I wanted the book to accommodate some of that some of that liveliness and some of that inpre- unpredictability and you know and lurching from one from one photographer to the next but again I wanted something very accessible you can you know, this is, this is not a thick tome about the history of photography. You can pick it up, you can read a couple of paragraphs and then go about your business and hopefully some of the thoughts will, will launch.
0: I love that. I, I'm a big Nick Knight fan. And of course, Certainly. I need to think yeah. of Tim Walker and then you have Tim Walker too. So I was really happy about that.
2: Um, but I'm sure also that there are people that are not in the book that, you know that you would like to have been in there and yeah. and a number of people have suggested a couple of you know that one of the, one of their first reactions is to say well you know what about so-and-so or what about hmm. a...
1: i'm
0: i'm absolutely sure it's interesting i was because some of this when you dip back historically i was curious um but i think that isn't that amazing how like the reach that people have over the years, like Meat Yard. I think that's really interesting.
2: And there's also work which comes in and out of appearance. There are photographers who have enormous impact, again in the classroom, and then that impact fades. There was was 10 years, say in the, Late eighties and mid nineties, in which the impact of Nan Golden was so was so visible and so palpable, mm-hmm. and then not, and then not so much. She she just becomes a part of our our assumptions. Um, and as I said before, this is you know, as a Roe Etheridge image, this is this is not your typical Roe Etheridge. no. But, nope. but I, but I find it's it it's so well illustrated my ideas about you know him making generic generic photographs.
1: Mm. This is a new one to me,
0: I didn't know this work.
1: So I'm gonna get
0: through um, so that people can see all of the images. Like that, like, okay, so this really amazes me, I've followed Taryn for quite some time and learning from this image that you chose that there's now a congressional bill that made it possible to fund a braille, a braille version of Playboy and they still fund it. I, I, that was an amazing piece of information.
2: Perhaps it's one of the most useful things that Congress has done
1: recently. <laughs>
0: And I, I love, um, Taryn Simon did an amazing project called the Image Atlas. Yes. Uh, that was fantastic. Um, so talk about research and, and getting at our cultural understanding of image. Like we are all becoming more sophisticated, um, visually it's, it's, it's the language of the last 20 years has just Mm -hmm. amped up so much, um, but there is so much that goes into it and that we read into it. Um, and she's a really good person to follow to take that, that, that apart. And I wasn't familiar with Thomas Demand and he's on your cover. Oh, wow. So could you, uh, uh, this will be my last indulgence of my like responses and I'll let other
2: people have some, but so tell us more about him. Thomas Demand I think is a, an absolutely remarkable artists, what we are looking at, what you are looking at on the right uh, what might immediately appear as, as you know a fairly conventional image is com- a complete completely constructed. He makes all of his work using foam core and colored paper. I love that. This is it's all paper. Um, another aspect of it is that he takes this Picture, for example, is a photograph that was made of the backyard of the Boston Bombers' house. Mm
1: -hmm. It was
2: a fairly well-known press image. I believe that the I'm sorry to call him the Boston Bomber, but I don't happen to I guess his tamarind. Yeah.
0: Brothers.
2: This was a press picture in which his wife was leaving the frame and it was probably one of those uncomfortable paparazzi pictures of of, of someone being stalked. So part of Thomas DeMond's project is to take pictures that have a certain gravity to them and uh, lots of baggage and to take away that baggage and to transform it into a much more generic image or to remove the sense of, uh, to remove a lot of content. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, I think the work operates on a number of different levels in terms of the photograph as a piece of fiction, um, in terms of the, the uh, f- photography being a mimetic medium. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been so much discourse in the last 20 years about Um, photography as an appropriative um, idea Mm -hmm. and he really takes it in a kind of literal way his 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 program was rather than to make pictures is to rebuild pictures as they have existed Mm -hmm. but also to conceal their um, their cultural significance. Mm
0: -hmm. It's very interesting it actually is quite the um, bookend to Taryn Simon who almost it's all this cultural significance and 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 reality but then the photograph you are so unsure of all that like right. you wouldn't know it's, it's no. so you're again um demonstrating the extremely wide range that photography can play in you know coming from one direction and going this way coming from the other direction and going that way there's my guy oh
2: I really I do. Almost... <laughs> I really do think, and I'm certainly not alone in this, that the photography has become the dominant medium in which we all communicate. And like I... language itself, um, it's completely flexible. There are there are poets, and there are there are journalists, and there are you know people that use language in a in a fairly simple way, and and those who write who write opera. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tim and... Walker is, I think, is one of the Go ahead.
0: No, 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 I was just gonna say, and I also think it also breaks down. Yes, I do think it's a dominant form, but I Mm -hmm. also think our um, permeability between different forms of um, creativity is also really opened up. So one echoes another, echoes another. It's like the whole idea is a photographer and artist or, you know, the, this idea of your predominant medium, but mm-hmm. that, that, that one lends itself to another.
2: Yeah. Well, Tim Walker is a great example. Um, I can think of no one with the exception of, of perhaps Nick Knight, um, both English photographers, by the way, who have used the, what we think of as fashion photography in a more expressive and original mm-hmm. and um, Lavish, lavish way. Um, I guess to our point, for example, this picture was made. Um, it was a it was made for Sonia Raichel, mm-hmm. and uh, Tim Walker was also the subject of a retrospective at the Victoria and Albert Museum. So, an argument for work going from a, a magazine page and being of sufficient quality and sufficient originality to uh, to adorn the walls of a, of a museum, I think, is uh, that is the, uh, that's the template that we're looking for. Is that the catalog?
0: This is the catalog. And I almost left Paris photo for a day because uh-huh. it was killing me.
2: Uh-huh.
0: I was close. Um, so my British friend brought me the catalog because I, I I got my wits about me and I didn't leave Paris to go. But yeah, this idea of um, how, you cross between print and gallery. And I remember um, with Avedon, he literally had uh, written about this idea of whether he was shooting for the page or the wall. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, that things have changed and grown so much. And I was just thrilled. I have, a, I have a Tim Walker book at home that I swear to God is 15 pounds. I mean, he's prolific. And I also think about talking about the different genres, doesn't Nick Knight have his show studio right. that's multi-medium um, um, oriented?
2: Yeah, um, I think, you know, Nick Knight was one of the, one of the first people to my knowledge to embrace video. Exactly. As, as an offshoot of the photographic medium and, and has, yes. has really done a lot in terms of, in terms of fashion film. You know, an, another way of thinking about all this rather than Rather than trying to get out of particular genres, it's, it's just to think about the photographer as being a storyteller. And different things inspire different individuals at, th- at different times. But we're all telling stories.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And by the way, Tim Walker is one of the nicest people that I've, that, that I've ever met. Oh, Lovely man.
0: Lucky you. Wow. Wow. I actually have to say, not but I I had the occasion to meet Zanelli Maholi Mm -hmm. this year when her exhibit opened at the um, Cooper Gallery as part of Harvard and it's it's the um, Hail the Dark Lioness has gone uh, traveled widely Mm -hmm. um, and they did a day symposium and she was an amazing amazingly gracious uh, educator and um, that was, that was one of those moments. I, I actually brought my catalog and she signed it. I mean, that, I'm a little bit of a groupie, have been for a while, so that was a thrill. And, and her ability to be patient with people, understanding mm-hmm. where she's coming from and what she's doing is heroic. Mm-hmm because it's misunderstood, and um, uh, um, she was so gracious. Yeah. Like, in terms of this photograph, those are the sponges that you would clean dishes with, and the references to the work of her mother, the title, Bester, that's her mother's name. And literally, one of the questions from the audience, and this is a Harvard symposium, was, did you have fun dressing up? Hmm. So the fact that she could even
1: patronizing question is
0: amazing to me. Um, That was painful, but anyway, I could um, steer you and ask. But I'm going to open it up. Deb, can you tell us? Do we have questions, or can we let people? Yes, we we have had several questions, and I will unmute people so that they can feel to. Free to jump in. And thanks for holding your questions. I know that's hard. I just have to tell you that there was like a lot more people, but I'm not going to make you go there. Uh, I love Sarah. Thanks for steering, Deb. No problem. So I know if, um,
5: if these folks want to jump in, I know we had a question from Nate and Yvette, and Leah,
1: great.
2: I hope they're not hard questions.
5: <laughs> this is Leah. I'm. I guess what I wanted to ask. Hi, Leah. Was about demand. Hi, nice. With what you did here, and I was just thinking about the demand photo in the book,
1: mm-hmm.
5: which to me feels like a fake, in the real sense of a fake, because if you don't know the background, it's just another in between two houses and it's boring to me. And so you're saying there's something great about it because someone was walking out of the picture at the time or because he made it out of construction paper and foam.
0: think you're frozen. Mm.
5: Did you get the end? I, I said, I, I don't know why this is considered good photography.
2: Well, I think that your point is of interest. You, if I understand correctly, part of your point is that the appreciation of, of much contemporary photography um, means that you need to have the backstory. You need to have a lot of information which is out you know, c- contextual information, and I think that, right. that I think that's a legitimate that's a legitimate um, point. Um, you know, my wife really loves opera, and I don't, but I go with her to it. And um, the more that she talks about it, and the more that she talks about its its uh, its historical. Uh, possibility. And the more information she gives me about the medium, the more I like it. So I'm not sure, I understand what you're saying, but I'm not sure the fact that a photograph can en- enliven and enhance itself the more information that you have about it. No, it
5: can't. I I agree that it can, but what I'm saying is if I go to a gallery and I see that photo on the wall, right. I'm just going to walk right by it because I don't know the background and why should I have to know the background in order to feel it's a good photograph?
2: Well, because one could argue that the more information that you have about something, not to legitimize a mediocre picture, but the more information you have that that can enhance your experience. Having said that, I would say that with Subtracting all the information that we have about Thomas de what intrigues me about this picture, and again, taking away any information about the fact that it's painstakingly constructed by cardboard, what interests me is the sort of banality of the foreground with the lush um, budding of spring in the background. For example, even if this were just a picture that he made walking down walking down our neighborhood, I still think that it has certain pleasures because of the juxtaposition between the kind of messy ordinariness of that of that little stoop and there's, you know, there's a there's a there's a blue tarp and there's looks like there's a, a, the lid of a um, of um, of some construction materials. As I say in my essay, it looks like it is a project which is half completed. So you have that, and juxtaposed against this extravagant bursting of nature, I think it's a it's a, it's a it's a good picture. But I think that I, I think that we need patience. I think that it's it's our impulse is to look at a picture and to be dismissive of it, as opposed to trying to figure out what we can get from it. One of the things that students used to say to me, and and, and I'm, this used to annoy me a lot, is that they would, especially the freshmen would say, well, this picture doesn't do anything for me. And I would say to them, well, understanding the medium and understanding photography, it's, this is not the entertainment business. You know, sometimes we have to linger with a picture and we have to rearrange our preconceptions and figure out if there's something that we can appreciate from the image or not appreciate, at least recognize in the image. And that's not to, that's not to condone mediocre pictures, but it's just so that our relationship to the photographic medium is a learning process.
1: Thank and you. rather than again
2: dismissing something very quickly because it, it, its strengths are not evident, is, is being with it for a while. Does that answer your question?
5: Well, I guess I would have been one of those students, <laughs> but thank you very much.
2: Thank you. Well, thank, thank, thank you. Yeah.
6: Uh, I, I have a, a, a question as well. Hi, Nate. Hi. Uh, I thought you gave a great answer, by the way, on that last question that she had. Um, uh, anyway, my question is, did you have to pay these uh, famous photographers enormous sums to use their photos in your book?
2: Uh, some of them I did, and, and um, I was shocked.
6: <laughs> yeah, yeah, these are great photos. So I, I figured, you know, th- those, the, these artists being some of the top artists, they probably, you know, uh, probably had some cost involved. Thank you.
2: There, there, were only, there were only about six that I had that I had to pay. Um, and I was completely naive about the process. Um, I know a lot of the people in the book, um, so that was fairly simple. It's really simple for me to convince, you know, Terrence Simon to give me a picture. or, or But then when you're dealing with estates and you're dealing with galleries, um, that becomes that becomes a different matter, and I com- was completely unprepared for this part of it. I was, I was, hmm. I was really, I was really pissed off. And I might also add that three people we uh, did not want to be in the book: Gilbert, Gilbert, and George, and um,
6: uh, uh, I forget them anyway. So, out of all those photographers, you re- you really only had to pay six. Is that what you're saying, basically?
2: Yeah, if, if six. I, I think I had to. It, it wasn't that much, I think I had to pay about twenty five hundred dollars for the use of use of pictures, which I think with a hundred images. Um, I assume that people would want to be in the book, and the fact that they were in the book was you know that they would be they would be honored to be a part of it, but that's not always the case.
6: yeah, they must have really believed Are in you your
2: putting, book uh, what's that i
6: I said oh. they must really have have believed in your book in order to give you all those photos.
2: I'd like to think that.
6: I Thank appreciate
3: you. that thought. Yeah. Thank you. So uh, my question, somewhat of follow-up then, in terms of um, Hi Yvette. Hi. Thank you. So I'm curious about who didn't make it into the book. Like if you limited yourself to, you know, a set number, the hundred, were there did you have some that were hard to let go of or how did you who wound up not in the book that you would have liked to if you had included 125?
2: Um, there there are some people whose work I adore, but they have had absolutely no impact in the classroom.
3: So it was strictly that,
2: huh? I, I, I tried it to be, to be strictly that. Um, out, out of curiosity, are there particular photographers that you would have liked to have seen in the book?
3: I was do, wondering do, that as... Is- as we were going through and um, yeah. I didn't see any um, did you have Carrie Mae Weems?
1: Yeah
2: she's in there
3: okay you did right no I don't know I have to give that some thought okay some, maybe some let, me, the- let me know just
2: out of curiosity yeah.
3: yeah there's some newer photographers perhaps who wouldn't have right. been in the classroom at the time and then my yeah. other question is once you selected those who had an impact how did you select the individual photograph of that photographer? Did you to well, that's that?
2: Good, that, that's a good question, and and uh, there's a couple ways to answer that. I as I've mentioned before, I wanted to choose um, for the most part. I wanted to choose images that were not as recognizable. I mean, every photographer has their iconic images, the, the images that are immediately recognizable, and and. I wanted to choose pictures that were maybe not as well known, but I thought were really deserving of understanding. And then there were occasional moments that I wanted to choose a particular picture to reinforce (laughs) what I had to say about them. Um, For example, the the Cindy Sherman picture, I mean clearly that's not a a picture that one would immediately recognize as Cindy. so I wanted to use that one for that reason, but also in particular because I wanted to say something about the nature of self portraiture. Uh, does that answer
1: your question?
3: Yeah, no, that's excellent. And I did just think of Keith Carter. I love his work and would think that would be impactful. In the class.
2: Well, Keith Carter, I mean, I think that there's also certain regionalisms. Um, you know, every city has their own photography community. And I don't think that Keith Carter, his work is not known to New York City uh, photography students to as, as, as well as, as I could judge. Um, I, think, I think that he's had an impact amongst certain communities, um, but, but not, not the kids that I was working with. Interesting. Yeah.
3: Thank you very much.
2: Sure, thank you, thanks for listening.
3: A beautiful book um, look i'd Thank
2: like to go through it now um can i can i give a, a plug for the book now sure <laughs> okay <laughs> um the book is available by all your conventional sources by amazon and by your local bookstore however if you would like a signed copy of the book and i will sign it specifically to to lee or the vet with a, a nice little um nice little greeting you can go on the Dear Dave magazine website and click on looking at uh, looking at photographs and I will send you a book right away.
0: Great if we wanted to put in um, our notes uh, is that the link that you would like us to use the Dear Dave? Sure,
1: sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, thank you.
0: Sure no I, I uh, we have put that kind of information uh, attached we'll We'll put something up on my website that will refer back to that. Um, do we have some other questions? I think Heather had a question
5: if you'd like to ask Heather.
4: Hi, um, I'm Heather Walsh and I'm- hi, a. Heather. Hi, thank you so much for- this is absolutely wonderful mind food. Um, thank you. Thank you. Um, so I just have a question. Um, I'm trying to better understand my visual voice and I'm having difficulty defining it and articulating it, mm-hmm. though. I'm very prolific in my imagery making and I'm trying to get myself into a deeper level of understanding of my work to, you know, make it better. Yeah. So do you have any suggestions. For visual people who uh, words come a little bit more difficultly to, to kind of make this process go a little bit easier.
2: Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Um, the first thing I'd like to say is that the evidence is in the work itself. If you def- To define yourself is to look at the work and look at the work again. Look at the work as carefully as possible and to understand the work in a way that you hadn't before. One of the things that I find with, with people that are just beginning to form a relationship and a sensibility, is that they don't actually look at the work enough. You know, if you are a student in a program, you put the work up on the walls for your critique class, you take the work down, you put it in your box, it's very important, to, to uh, Heather, to put the work in a place at home that you can look at it without distractions. And look at it and discover things about it that you didn't necessarily see. It, and, and another way of saying is, I think that the work is a l- always a little bit further, off, further along than our understanding of it. But the information is there if you can extract it from, from the body of work. So, look at the work, look at it a lot with a completely open mind. And then in terms of defining it to to other people, keep in mind that you, you don't have to defend the work. You also don't have to assign, you know, characteristics of the work that you think make it important. The work does not have to be important. You know, that, that's another thing that I've observed year after year in the classroom is, is that students feel like their work needs to be of something that's profound. And it doesn't. It might get there, or it might be despite your best efforts. But if you could come up with a very simple, again, not a defense of the work, but just a, a name for the work. You know, fill in the blank. My work is about, what, what's, what's that word that you want to put there? And then create another sentence. I think writing a statement about the work is really important, but it doesn't have to be, pe- people confuse artist statements with the sort of statement that you will pick up at a gallery. You know, a gallery will have a, this completely convoluted, uh, pretentious uh, explanation of the work. That's not what you want to do, you know. You so, could say, my, my work is about soft.
4: Okay. So just ask yourself a series of questions. Because mm-hmm. I have a, studio you know, and I have a board where I can put my work up and, mm-hmm. um, you know, look at it. Um just wondering what those questions I would be asking myself.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, the first, again, the first question is to just kind of find a, a basis for the, for the work. I, I, when I look at these 30 pictures of mine, what is the dominant sensibility? What is the dominant feeling to the work? And then start from there. And then make one more picture. It's an, it's an additive process. But, but Heather, you should also, are there workshops um, that you can involve yourself with? Are there critique? Where do you live?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I live outside of New York City. Oh, OK. The photo community has been absolutely incredible during COVID. There's been okay. um, so much available online. Um, and uh, okay. next month, I'm taking McGever um, uh, McEver um, Evans workshop through Maine. I, I just totally butchered his name. But yes, there's tons of opportunity like right. right. this
2: but again, my, my advice to you is to is just very simply to look at the work really carefully, and to continue to find things in the work that you didn't know were there. But that takes a certain kind of openness and a kind of a, a calm. <laughs> and then um, just describe the work to yourself. And that description can in and of itself, at least for now, in and of itself be what the work is about. One last thing, I stopped using the, in, in the classroom, I stop using the word meaning because we would say, well, what is the meaning of this work? And as soon as you say meaning, everybody gets really frantic. And instead of meaning, I say, well, what, what is the story that you want to tell us? And to me that alleviates some of the responsibility for having a kind of content that we think um, is expected of us. Lovely, thank you. That was- You're welcome. Good
4: luck. Thank you.
1: I
0: know we're coming up to our time. Deb, is there another lingering question? Not that I see here. Okay. Uh-huh. I I was thinking of um three things that I wanted to say. Um, one was I just wanted to um uh, finish with some of the ways in which I think your words really distilled something about the person uh, and the image and so that might be helpful Heather for you to hear what uh, what even could be pulled out from something that that just sings I, I tried to capture a few of those that I thought was were really helpful um, the um, The other thing I guess I would say is I would plug uh, Concept Aware in terms of what you're looking for, Heather, and that um, that is exactly the work and it takes time. uh, And you're in conversation with your work and part of it is listening to your work and part of it is getting comfortable um, not having some answers. Um, So patience is helpful. Um, And I was reminded of some things going on online that I think very much feed practice and and, and explore. So if you're not familiar with the Journal Collective that started out of Women From We Women, uh, or sorry, Women Photograph, um, uh, several hundred women around the world have formed 45 different groups that are literally responding to initially the pandemic. But then now the last thing that was just on Instagram was a series of questions uh, that were fascinating. So every question was answered visually. Hmm. So those are exercises you can do yourself. So it's like when you see something being done, it's being able to try it yourself. Like we could come off of this and say, okay, everybody on the call, try and make something in cardboard and photograph it. And I'm serious, right? It, it's That's the kind of expansion that you need to have with your practice. Um, but I digress. The last thing I want to finish with is um, you said about uh, Katie Gannon's work, who I really uh, admire. Um, well, I should go back, because you said something about um, Andre Serrano's work, which I also found very powerful. um, You said he is using the language of power to portray the powerless. Um, You also talked about, in reference to Catherine Opie, that she was photographing people um, that were particularly, or not necessarily, they were somewhat marginalized, but photographing them in a way that was a portraiture that almost gave them the comfort of something we associate with the portrait. So I think those kind of ways of looking at photography, looking what people say about photography can really help you understand your work. With Kathy Gannon, you said um, something about the pathos of the ordinary. Mm. And I thought that was a great uh, description and the last is, which I think is great to end on, is Hank Willis Thomas' work, which, um, if I'm in the A's, it's gonna take me a while to get there, but um, let's get there. Oops, got it. Um, you know, I, I actually did a book review of his work and his book called All Things Being Equal, which really gives you a deep dive into how he works with advertising and um, imagery. Um, and if you, you if you're familiar with the billboards project or his truth project. Those are all multimedia uh, ways of, of, of furthering what his work is about, which is basically asking us to question what we see and our assumptions, but what you said. Um, Stephen in reference to Hank Willis Thomas is this um, all images traffic in the marketplace of ideas and I'm like, okay, I'm going to quote you on that like that is the best.
2: Um, so You can claim, you can claim it as your own, you don't have to include me <laughs> in it, just... <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I always don't. like to say... <laughs>
0: well, in terms of appropriation, I really like to say where something came from if I can. Um, but yeah, that was perfect. And um, it's so lovely, after spending a lot of time with the book, um, hearing some of your reflections on it, it illuminates it more. Um, And you kind of have given me homework, uh, which is great. I'd love to look into some of these people more deeply.
2: Well, I have to say that the writing of the book was such a learning experience for me. You know, I started this project thinking, well, you know, what do I know? And what can I share? Um, But the process of writing it, I, I... again, looking at pictures and keeping an open mind and trying to extract something from it, which I hadn't quite thought of before, was a great, a great learning experience. And, and I think back to, back to something that, that Heather was, was, was saying, is that part of the pleasure of photography is, is that it is a learning experience. And, and, and that is so much the goal. It, it's, to me, it's as much about making pictures as it is about learning new things.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
2: um, you know, I think that that can be of comfort to all of us as we're trying to develop something that, that feels like it's worthy of, 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 of being part of the, uh, part of the medium.
0: So. And that's, I love that. I wanted to ask if you would just say, because I didn't go into a long um, bio, but your work at the School of Visual Arts and then now at Red Hooks, which is like my favorite, favorite mm-hmm. space. I'm like, oh, I love Red Hooks. Red Hook Labs. I love Red Hook, but I love Red Hook Labs and all that that's being able to do and how community based that is. Um, and, and and also about Dear Dave, which I followed as well. So if you want to say anything about those two very different initiatives, I'd love you to share
1: that. Sure.
2: Um, we're, in a, we're on a bit of a hiatus right now, Red Hook Labs, uh, because of the, obviously because of the pandemic. Red Hook Labs was begun about three years ago by my dear friend and colleague, Jimmy Moffat. Jimmy was one of the founders of art and commerce and an an agent of Annie Leibovitz and Stephen Mizell, Um, and a native of Brooklyn. And he wanted to set up a learning situation for the kids at risk in Red Hook neighborhood of Brooklyn to teach photography both as a way of forming or reinforcing one's identity as well as a vocational possibility to them. Um, And then I came along about a year ago to develop a series of workshops. So it's a very community-based organization. um, And we're we're really trying to figure out how we can make photographic education as nimble and as accessible as possible. Um, And also be very responsive to uh, the kids at risk in the neighborhood. Uh, Dear Dave Magazine is something that I I started about 15 years ago. Um, It just came out with the 27th issue. Um, If you don't mind, I'm gonna hold up a, there it is. um, Available by subscription. Um, It used to be available on newsstands and Barnes and Noble, et cetera, but we we have a new format now and it's a limited edition published three times a year, and its goal is to be unpredictable and to show different aspects of photographic thinking and photographic practice and writing and uh, to bring a good deal of unpredictability to to the medium. So um, please give that some thought. I'm a very lucky man to be able to be involved in all these different aspects of the medium that um, is infinitely... um, Infinitely uh, surprising and um, and wonderful.
0: I agree. I agree. Well, thank you so much for your thank time you all here. so much.
2: It's, it's it's been a great pleasure. And feel free. My, my email address is simply Stephen at stephenfraley.com. And if you have any questions or any um, any ideas, please be in touch.
0: Great. And and I would just say that um, we have. Um, from my studio, Concept Aware, uh, a very s- limited version right now through the end of the year, but the um, uh, Beginner's Guide, uh, which will just give you some tools uh, and an insight into that curriculum, which is which is much bigger, and also the other book groups, which everyone is invited to, and the next one is going to be, um, the book is called Hans, and it's by the Dutch photographer Vivian Coulard. Mm. Um, and, uh, what we try to do is after this we'll, we'll um, take the recording and put it together with a summary and put that up online. So you can look at the ones that we started, really it follows the pandemic. It was supposed to happen in my studio and went online and it's been there ever since. But um, it's, it's really fun to bring the community together.
2: You're doing great work.
0: Ah, Thank you. Thank you. I feel very fortunate too. I get to play in this sandbox. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I always say that basically my medium is other people's creative practice. Oh, that's um, nice. With photography is kind of my obsession. So
2: I might nice. have to quote that.
0: <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So thank, thank you. you. Everybody.
2: Thank you very much.
0: All right. Take care. Thanks thank so much. Thank you, Deb. Thank, thank you. For- are co piloting.
2: Thank you, Deborah. Thanks very much. Thank bye
0: you.
1: bye. Okay. Bye.